Now let's come to another chapter in the exciting story of Elijah. Hope you're enjoying these studies as much as I am in prayer preparing them. But let's come to 1 Kings chapter 18. 1 Kings chapter 18 and we'll begin at verse 16. And we'll read up to about verse 39, something about there. 1 Kings chapter 18, verse 16. And just keep your Bibles open after we have concluded the Bible reading. And uh, you'll be able to refer to First 1 Kings 18, verse 16. So Obadiah went to meet Ahab and told him, And Ahab went to meet Elijah. When he saw Elijah, he said to him, Is that you? You troubler of Israel. I have not made trouble for Israel, Elijah replied, but you and your father's family have. You have abandoned the Lord's commands and have followed the Baals. Now summon the people from all over Israel to meet me on Mount Carmel. And bring the 450 prophets of Baal and 400 prophets of Asherah who eat at Jezebel's table. So Ahab sent word throughout all Israel and assembled the prophets from Mount Carmel. Elijah went before the people and said, How long will you waver? Older versions have a long halt you between two opinions. How long will you waver between two opinions? If the Lord is God, follow him. But if Baal is God, follow him. But the people said nothing. And Elijah said to them, I am the only one of the Lord's prophets left, but Baal has 450 prophets. Get two bulls for us. Let them choose one for themselves and let them cut it into pieces and put it on the wood, but set, do not set fire to it. I will prepare the other bull and put it on the wood, but not set fire to it. And then you call on the name of your God, and I will call on the name of the Lord. And the God who answers by fire, he is God. You know, the people said, what you say is good. Elijah said to the prophets of Baal, Choose one of the bulls and prepare it for us, since there are so many of you. Call on the name of your God, but do not light the fire. And so they took the bull given them and prepared it. And then they called on the name of Baal from morning till noon. Oh, Baal, answer us, they shouted. But there was no response. No one answered. And they danced around the altar they had made. At noon Elijah began to taunt them. Shout louder, he said. Surely he's a god. Perhaps he's deep in thought or busy or travelling. Maybe he's sleeping and must be awakened. And so they shouted louder and slashed themselves with swords and spears as was their custom until their blood flowed. Midday passed and they continued their frantic prophesying until the time for the evening sacrifice. But there was no response. No one answered. No one paid attention. And Elijah said to all the people, come here to me. And they came to him and he repaired the altar of the Lord which was in ruins. And Elijah took twelve twelve stones, one for each of the tribe descended from Jacob to whom the word of the Lord had come saying, your name shall be Israel. And with the stones he built an altar in the name of the Lord. And he dug a trench round it large enough to hold two seahs of seed. He arranged the wood, cut the bull into pieces and laid it on the wood. And then he said to them, fill four large jars with water and pour it on the offering and on the wound. And do it again, he said. And they did it again. Do it a third time, he ordered. Did it a third time. And the water ran down around the altar and even filled the trench. 
At the time of the sacrifice, the prophet Elijah stepped forward and prayed, O Lord God of Abraham, Isaac and Israel, let it be known today that you are God in Israel and that I am your servant and have done all these things at your command. Answer me, O Lord, answer me, so these people will know that you, O Lord, are God and that you are turning their hearts back again. And then the fire of the Lord fell and burned up the sacrifice, the wood, the stones, the soil, and also licked up the water in the trench. When all the people saw this, they fell prostrate and cried, The Lord, he is God. The Lord, he is God. Amen. And God will bless his word, I'm sure, with all of our hearts. Just when I saw the name Israel there in that passage, Lorraine was talking to me yesterday about the possibility of a wee party going to the Holy Land. Maybe at the end of this year, I don't know. I was just talking to a couple at Kirky and they want to go. So maybe there's just a wee sort of uh, window here of opportunity for some folks. Uh, if you would like to go to the Holy Land this year, have a word with us and perhaps we can make an arrangement for uh, later on this year. Uh, I, I took a party there in 1990. That's a good number of years ago. But there's just the, the wee request came from Lorraine last yesterday at the meal. And there maybe one or two others that she has spoken to as well. So there's at least two others in Kirke. And there are folks here in Kirke. Make it known to us. And we might be able to come along. Maybe other churches as well for that matter. So have a wee think about that one. Just when I saw the name Israel. Let's just have a prayer. Loving God, we want to thank you for your word to us. And we believe that you've got something that you want to speak into each one of our hearts today. We thank you for this momentous passage of scripture in the Old Testament of Elijah and Mount Carmel. And we pray, loving God, today that you would really communicate your truth in such a way that we can break it down and apply it and live according to its teaching. And we thank you, Lord, you're never a disappointment to us. Your mercies are new every morning and great is your faithfulness. And we pray, Lord, for any today who are struggling with issues in their lives, those who are coping with family difficulties or work situation, those who are stranded because of the, the flight uh, cancellations. We ask you, loving God, to be all that you think of Chris and Arlene. And we ask you, loving God, to supply every need. And help them to know that we are thinking of them also. I pray for my daughter Heather and Andy and the children. They will get home fairly soon as well. So we thank you Lord that you are concerned about every single situation that we face. And for those struggles that we have at work situation. We ask you Lord to give us the ability to cope with them. And to be able to triumph over them. And to be able to find you to be all that we need. We pray for those who are ill, who are sick, and our family members. We ask your loving God for your healing touch upon them. And we just pray that you'll raise them up to health and strength again. But we thank you again for yesterday. We bless you for your presence with us. For all the folks that come in the doors. And may that just be a, a fresh opportunity for them to see what's going on. And to return. And to be of, we can be of service to them. Especially to know the reason why we're here. So we give you thanks, Lord, for your good and your favour upon us in Jesus' name. And bless your word to us now. Amen. Well, we come to the, the third part of our series on Elijah. And as you know, as you remember how in 1 Kings 17 and verse 3, God told Elijah to hide himself by the brook. 
He had to hide after having confronted this terribly wicked king called Ahab with an equally and maybe even more so wicked wife called Jezebel. We find the word of the Lord comes to Elijah to go to the brook Cherith and we call that a place of refreshing. Elijah fed by the ravens at the brook Cherith. And then of course last week we were thinking about Elijah being told to go to Zarephath. And we call that the place of refining. Because that's what the actual name means. Zarephath means a place of refining. And what we learned here is that God did not tell Elijah to go and show himself to the wicked king. Without first saying to him I want you to hide yourself. I want you to have that special place. And by the brook there with me God is saying to him before you actually confront uh, Elijah, Ahab rather. And so we've got the place of refreshing, we've got a place of refining. And it may have been that Ahab was anxious uh, to hear from Elijah. In fact, he was searching for Elijah. It says later on in 1 Kings 18, he was searching all over the place. And it must have been the mighty hand of God to get Elijah to go 75 miles away up to Sidon. It would be the last place that Ahab would look for him. And yet he was being searched for by the king. And so we find ourselves in this part of scripture that three years have elapsed. Look at 1 Kings 18 at the beginning there. Three years have elapsed. uh, And from verse 2, the famine was severe in Samaria. Three years of famine and drought. The land was supposed to be a land flowing with milk and honey. Whatever had happened to it. Well, Ahab just couldn't wait to get his hands on Elijah. He saw Elijah as the source of all this trouble. He was the reason for it because Elijah said that God would grant that there would be no water, there would be a drought in the land for three years. And according to the prayer of Elijah. And so Ahab saw Elijah as the cause of all the trouble. And so you find there, look at verses uh, 7 to 12. As Obadiah was walking along, Elijah met him. Obadiah recognized him and bowed down to the ground and said, Is it really you, my Lord? Yes, he replied, Go and tell your master, Elijah is here. What have I done wrong, said Obadiah, that you're handing your servant over to Ahab to be put to death? As surely as the Lord our God lives, or not a nation or a kingdom where my master has not sent someone to look for you. And whenever a nation or kingdom claimed you were not there, he made them swear they couldn't find you. And now you tell me to go to my master and say, Elijah is here. I don't know where the spirit of the Lord may carry you, whether I leave you. If I go and tell Ahab he doesn't find you, kill me. No, said Elijah. Go and tell Ahab that I'm really here. So Obadiah took a lot of convincing. And so he comes that encounter. Look at verse 17 of 1 Kings 18. When he saw Elijah, he said to him, Is that you, you troubler of Israel? You're the cause of all this problem along the way. And so we find that uh, Ahab is quite convinced the minister is to blame. 
Sounds a bit like modern time, isn't it? When the minister is to blame for all the, the goings on in church life. It's so easy to, to blame somebody else for the famine and the drought. And so Elijah has to say to Ahab, I'm not the one who's a troubler of Israel. You're the one that's caused all this trouble by going against God's commands and going into all this idolatry, the worship of these Baals. You're the cause of all the trouble. You're the reason that all these things happen. And contrary to popular opinion, the hardest person to deal with, I hope you agree with this, the hardest person to deal with is ourselves. It's not our wife or our husband, fathers and mothers, not even the mother-in-law. <laughs> it's ourselves. Very often the hardest person, we're the hardest person that we try to deal with. And so many Christians are trying to put everybody else right and forget about the huge plank they've got in their own eye. The faults that they have in their lives. Look at verse 5 and you'll see the result of this sinfulness in Ahab's part. Ahab said to Obadiah, go through the land to all the springs and valleys and maybe we'll find some grass to keep the horses and mules alive and so we will not have to kill any of our animals. You see what's happening here? Here is Ahab looking for grass when God is willing to give him grace. God's willing to forgive He's looking for grass. And what's actually happening here is Ahab is dealing with the consequences of the drought, but not the cause. Dealing with the consequences. And sometimes that's true of your life and mine, that because of our waywardness at times in the Christian life, we end up dealing with the consequences of our waywardness. And all we're getting is grass. And God is saying to us, I want to forgive you. I want you to come back to me. It's not grass I'm interested in, it's grace. The forgiving grace and love of God through Jesus Christ. And the hardest person to deal with, it's you, you're the hardest person to deal with. I'm the hardest person to deal with. And that's the message that Elijah is trying to go over to this king, this wicked king, Ahab. You're the troubler of Israel. You're the one that's caused all this difficulty in the land because of your worship of false gods. So here we have Ahab dealing with the consequences rather than the causes. And we have Christians trying to find a little patch of glass, grass after having lived one year, two years, three years. Perhaps away from the Lord. Or not as close to the Lord as you might be. There's a drought and there's a, a spiritual famine in your life. And God wants to, by his grace, to bring you back. And sometimes we have to say with that old song that we used to sing a long, long time ago. Maybe some young folks don't even know it. It's me. It's me, O oh Lord. Standing in need of prayer. Not my father, not my mother, not my brother or my sister. But it's me. It's me, O oh Lord. Standing in the need of prayer. Maybe I told you some while ago about the deacon. He was always getting up at the prayer meeting. And he was saying the prayer meeting. Lord I want you to, to remove the cobwebs from my life. And he was always saying that. Every Wednesday night when they got to the prayer Lord remove the cobwebs. And one of the other deacons was so fed up with us. Remove the cobwebs. He got and prayed Lord kill the spider. <laughs> kill the spider. <laughs> 
And we just need to deal with the things that are there. And God wants to bring us back to that place. Now let's see how Elijah has to get Ahab to that point. Look at verse 19. It says there, Now summon the people from all over Israel to meet me on Mount Carmel and bring 450 prophets of Baal and the 400 prophets of Asherah who eat at Jezebel's table. What a challenge, isn't it? But tremendous faith. And yet, this, isn't this the only way to deal with our false gods? They must be brought out into the open. A decision made once and for all. What are you going to do about these false gods? It could be the false god of materialism in your life, or popularity, or something else that's gripping your life. And God is saying to you, that's become an idol in your life. That's your idol. That's the thing that you really worship more than anything else. And God said, make up your mind. What are you going to do? And Elijah is saying that to Ahab. How long will you waver between two opinions? How long will you halt between two opinions? Or a, a paraphrase is, how long will you hop on two opinions? <laughs> you know how you're hopping on one leg and hopping on the other, and you're never really coming down and both feet on the ground. That's the kind of thing that's being said there. How long are you going to halt between two things? If God is God, worship him. If it's going to be Baal the false God, well you worship him. But don't waver between the two. And that's what was happening there in the nation of Israel under Ahab. And you've got to make up your mind. Where are you going to land? Where is your worship going to be? And you can't worship materialism. You can't worship the, the things of the world. And at the same time hop over on the other leg and start worshipping God. Where is it going to be? What a tremendous challenge we find here in 1 Kings chapter 18. That Elijah is putting Ahab on the line. And all these people on the line say, who are you going to worship? Make up your mind. And sometimes we need to do that ourselves. And really what Elijah is saying, are you limping or are you running? Because you see in verse 21, they're limping. How long will you limp between two opinions? Look at verse 46, and they're running because the rain has arrived. Are you limping in your Christian walk? Your Christian life? Or are you running for God? I wonder if you need to discover the secret of how to run and not be weary. And to walk and not faint. For it seems to me that the Christian church has too many limpers and not enough runners. Those who are limping between two opinions. Those who are not solidly on the word of God. How relevant is that for today in London with the marathon taking place as well? Are you a limper or are you a runner? How was Elijah going to deal with that problem? Well, there are two requirements that Elijah made these people have. There were two things that they had to have. One of them was an altar. And the other one was a sacrifice. These were the two requirements that Elijah brought to that situation. It says, Elijah said, You call in the name of your God, and I will call in the name of the Lord. And the God who answers by fire, he is the Lord. Look at verses 26 to 29. Just read the story here. So they took the bull given to them and prepared it. And they called on the name of Baal from morning till noon. Oh, Baal, answer us, they shouted. But there was no response. No one answered. And they danced around the altar. It's comical, isn't it, when you see this? It's comical to. Read it. At noon, Elijah began to taunt them. Shout louder, he said. 
Surely he is a god. Perhaps he's deep in thought. Or he's busy or travelling. Maybe he's sleeping and must be awakened. And so they shouted louder. And they slashed themselves with swords and spears. As was their custom until the blood flowed. And midday passed and they continued their frantic prophesying. Until the time for their evening sacrifice. And then these powerful words. There was no response. No one answered. And nobody paid attention. Folks, if you go into the world's materialism, you go into other idols, you'll get nothing out of it. You'll get nothing out of it. That girl that said to me in my first church in Alexandria, she says, Pastor, I left for nothing and I got nothing. I left for nothing and I got nothing. There was no voice, there was no fire. And perhaps there's a lesson here that some Christians need to learn in the wider church. That the fire is not going to fall because people work it up. Now I've been in some meetings in my day. I've been 38 years of ministry is a long time. And I've been in some hairy meetings. Where there's been a lot of working up and working up. And maybe you'll see it in television as well at times. And the fire does not fall because we work it up. The fire falls. Because we pray it down. Mind you, holding down emotions has never been a problem in my experience of church life. <laughs> the problem has been trying to get any emotion in church life in churches that I've been in. Nicky Gummel tells the, in the Alpha Course about the lady who had a wonderful experience of the Holy Spirit and she, she was full of joy and she wanted to shout hallelujah and praise the Lord and she went back to her church. And she heard something wonderful about Jesus. She goes, hallelujah, praise the Lord. And this man came up, this leader says, listen here, I don't know where you got that. Didn't you get that here? You never got that here. And so here we, here we find that there's things that we're learning here about how this fire is going to go. We can't work it up, but we can pray it down. Let's ask ourselves the question then. Uh, when did the fire fall? I've got five wee points here that you might want to just take a note of or just remember. When did the fire fall? First of all, it fell after God got somebody like Elijah who could calm them down. He needed somebody like Elijah who could calm them down. You sense that in verse 30. Elijah said to all the people, come here to me. After all this dancing around the altar and cutting themselves and shouting to the top of their voice, you, you, you feel that calming voice from Elijah. Elijah says, come, come over here. Come here to me. And, and God needs folk like that. Not folk who are going to take advantage of the chaos and whip the people up into some kind of frenzy. It needs somebody that calms them down and says, let's come, come closer. I've got something I can share with you. There's something the Lord wants to do in your life. and I don't want you worked up for it. I just want you to come closer and see God at work by his power. And we just bless God for folk like that. Don't we bless God for folk that just, they get alongside the situation. We're frantic about something. But we're going over the top. We're all worried and we're all anxious. And, and God brings us alongside. So just, just calm down. God's got everything in control. and Share it with us. It helps to share these things. And very often God works through people who have a calming influence on their lives. We're all pent up about something and, and God brings alongside somebody who's calm. This is what's happening here with Elijah. He brings somebody along who calms them down. 
And if God's going to fire going to fall, it's not going to be because somebody who makes capital out of chaos, as political groups tend to do. We see that happening in these, uh, these talks that we're getting from politicians. God needs men and women whose lives speak peace into troubled times. He knows those that could get alongside the desperate situations that, that people face. And, and one thing Elijah did, he wanted no distance between, if I can put it this way, between the pulpit and the pew. I know that's old language nowadays. You get what I mean, between the leader and the people. Come on closer. And sometimes in, in the past in church life there's been this distance between this guy that gets up six feet above contradiction and the folk who are away down there as if they're a different breed altogether. We need that gift today, those who can identify others in their need and get alongside. Well when did the fire fall? Secondly, it fell after Elijah rebuilt the altar. That's what we read there in verse 30, that he repaired the altar that had been broken down. We need not only the divine calm in our lives, but we need to re-establish that place in our hearts with the Lord. And perhaps the altar of our hearts is lying in ruins. Perhaps the throne of your life or the altar in your heart is lying in ruins. At one time his name was precious to you. Is that name of Jesus still precious? At one time you, you would learn from the story you can't go after false gods and keep the altar intact. You go after false gods and the altar of the Lord in your heart will be in ruins. And the Bible says that Elijah began to rebuild the altar of God. And perhaps that's a need in your life and mine today. Lord, I want to rebuild the altar that you might be at the throne. You might be the very centre of my heart. It's also very interesting, look at here in verse 31, that Elijah takes 12 stones. Look at verse 31. Elijah took 12 stones, one for each of the tribe descended from Jacob, to whom the word of the Lord had come, saying, Your name shall be Israel. Isn't that interesting? And you're saying, why is it interesting? Because the tribes of Israel were divided. By the time of Ahab there were ten tribes in the north and two tribes in the south. The ten tribes in the north were called Israel. The two tribes in the south were called Judah. They were divided. So Elijah does not take ten stones to rebuild the altar. He takes twelve. This is an altar that's been built on unity and harmony. That's when the fire falls. Not only that there's a, a calming presence, but an altar is being built. And that altar that's being built is on unity and harmony. Not ten stones, but twelve. I find that very interesting. And let's be honest, if there's disunity and harmony within the fellowship, within the body of Christ, you're not going to know much about the fire of God. You wouldn't know much about the fire. We have to be broken. If there's a fellowship that's broken and humble before God, with the petty difference seen for what they really are, then I believe that that fellowship will experience the kindling and the consuming fire of God. When did the fire fall? Number one, when God had a man who could bring calm out of chaos. Number two, when God had a man who could rebuild the altar and rebuild it in a way that speaks of unity and harmony. Then thirdly, that the fire fell when the fire fell Elijah offered a burnt offering on the altar 
This definite act represented the dedication of the whole being to God. Now I don't really know if you know this or not, but the burnt offering was the only offering in the Old Testament where everything was placed on the altar. Did you know that? The burnt offering was the only offering where everything was put on the altar. Not only the external parts of the animal, the internal parts of the animal, the fat, the kidneys, the liver, every part was placed on the altar. And that was the only offering that did that, the burnt offering. And here we are today, ready and prepared to have the altar of our hearts rebuilt. But the question is, what are you going to put on it? What are you going to put on that altar? Are you going to put there your lips? Are they going to be placed on the altar and testify once more to the power of God? Are you going to put your hearts there? Are going to beat again with the impulse of that tremendous love of God? What about our feet? Are they going to walk again to a place of worship? Are they going to walk again to the place of prayer? Are you going to walk again to that place we used to go to? Where you found prayer a vital part of the fellowship gathering together for prayer. Is that going to be put on the altar? Is everything going to be placed on the altar so the Lord can have all of it? That's what the burnt, burnt offering meant. Everything on the altar. But fourthly, before the fire fell, Elijah drenched the altar with water. There's going to be no doubt here as to how this fire of God is going to fall. There's going to be nobody saying to these uh, prophets of Baal, there was a trick there. Alec was there and got a trick going or something like that. (laughs) There's not going to be any tricks. Nobody's going to secretly light the fire. Elijah made sure that no human agency would trick these false prophets. This is going to be God. This is going to be God. And then finally, number five, Elijah prayed. You know, it wasn't a long prayer. It doesn't have to be a long prayer. The essence of the prayer was simply this, Lord, I'm your servant. I have obeyed your word. Oh, Lord, answer me. But look at the prayer there in verses 36 to 37. At the time of the sacrifice, the prophet Elijah stepped forward and prayed, O Lord God of Abraham, Isaac and Israel, let it be known today that you are God in Israel, that I am your servant, have done all these things at your command. Answer me, O Lord, answer me. So these people will know, O Lord, that you are God, that you are the turning their hearts back again. Are we going to pray today, Lord, let the fire fall in my life again? Ever prayed that prayer? Lord, let the fire fall. It's only a wee flickering flame at the moment. Let the fire fall. The Pentecostals were great having songs. Let the fire fall. Many of them had these sort of songs. But first of all, make sure you tell God that you are his obedient servant. And you're seeking to live according to his word. When will the fire of the Lord fall on us? When we come calmly. This is not something you work up. This is something you pray down. Secondly, when we let God rebuild the altar in unity and harmony in our lives. And thirdly, when we put everything on the altar. And fourthly, when we leave out all that could fake the experience of the fire of God. Leave out all that kind of fakey stuff. And number five, when we pray simply but powerfully. Lord, I am your servant. I have obeyed your word. Please. Lord, will you answer me? Please, Lord, answer me. I believe that such a prayer never goes unanswered. And then, and only then, 
will the fire fall. Will the fire fall. Notice in closing, not only did the fire fall, notice that the heavens opened, didn't they? Not only did the fire fall, but the heavens opened. The rain that everybody had longed for had come. Did you notice how the story ends in verse 20 and verse 20 on Mount Carmel? How long will you go on limping? And the ends in verse 46 with the people running at the mighty sound of the rushing rain. And you know I have it on the authority of God's word. That they that wait upon the Lord shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. They shall rise up with wings like eagles. They'll run and not be weary. They'll walk and not faint. What's God saying into your life today? Will you stop limping between two opinions? Hopping in one leg and then another opinion on the other leg some other time. It's time to get both feet down on the ground as it were. Into what God's saying to you. It's time to stop limping. And it's time to start running and not be weary and to walk and not faint and all God's people said Amen. Amen let's pray loving God you're really speaking into our hearts today and we know Lord that there are other things that can get into our hearts and lives that become an idol and we thank you for the story of Elijah and Mount Carmel the challenge there before these 450 prophets of Baal and other prophets of Asherah the challenge to prove that you are truly God. And Lord, today, some of us perhaps just need to rebuild the altar, have that built, rebuilt again on their hearts. Because other things have got in the way. And not everything has been placed on the altar. And it's a long time since we really prayed, Lord, send the fire. Let the fire fall in me. And Lord, I, I'm your obedient servant. I am your servant and I've obeyed your word. Oh Lord, please will you answer me in Jesus' name. Amen.